Welcome to Joker Men, podcast about Bob Dylan albums, podcast about Bob Dylan, the artist. Yeah. Maker of the only one who can bring you Bob Dylan albums, really. Uh, Bob. And uh, today, we have a, a momentous occasion on a few different levels because it's the first episode of Joker Men season two. Um, I decided um, a couple days ago. And um, there's uh, not going to be anything different about season two. It's just season two now. Well, it it's different. Everything's actually going to be different, Ian. By the way, I'm Evan, um, co-host of Joker Men is, uh, is Ian. We're both the co-hosts. But today we also have a co-co-host. We have a third Joker Man. That's another Joker Man. Joker Man. And that's our good friend and an absolute legend in his own right. Uh, it's Sam France. Thank you. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you so much, Evan. <laughs> what, what else can I say? Sam France of uh, famous legendary, legendary group Foxygen. Sam France yep. of just yep. being legendary, that you might know him from that. Sam France of, uh, you know. Yeah. Foxygen. Foxygen is just, you know, enough, but, you know. But I, I know Sam France from before Foxygen uh, even um, because I actually kn- knew Sam as a as a boy, really. As a young and, boy, what, uh, you were, what were you five when we did like King Lear <laughs> together? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, probably, I was probably uh, you know, probably eight. seven years old or something. Eight. That young? Yeah, yeah. I started young uh, in terms of um, uh, you know region regional ch- children's theater. Of course, I have to say we had the same role, and I was like I was like eleven, you know, or twelve or older. And we were double cast in the same role, and Evan like totally stole the show, obviously because he was younger and he was so funny. And even and, and I, even I was just like, I got, I'm not, you know, fuck it, like you know, like he was just so good. Anyways, I always say that that's my little thing that I say. He was he's brilliant. Oh, it's, I'm, I'm very flattered uh, about that. And, you know, it's, <laughs> I, it's something I'm intending to hang my hat on for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, because uh, to to have Sam France say that is an honor great musician and um, honor to be it's honor to be on the podcast it's honor to be on the podcast like i was saying before like like it's just one of my favorite i mean it's the only podcast i listen to because i hate podcasts i've decided as you as you should and i had a podcast for a while and uh, it, I might it was great. do it. I, I loved the San France. Po- you are, you like are the, the number one fan Evan, and, and thank you so much the and, only and, podcast on on tape really that i can probably think of. Um, it was more than a podcast. It's, uh, and you should make those more widely available and keep making those. They're, that was, that's my favorite podcast. This is the France podcast. Well, if I keep doing it, it will definitely continue to just be com- more and more abstracted and more of more of a less of a podcast if I continue to do Good. it. But, uh, but you know, it, but as far as podcasts go, it's the only one I listen to and it's such a joy and it's just, it's just been, it's reinvigorated my relationship with Bob, like I said before, and you guys have just done such good work and it's, it's just so great. It's one of the, it's going to be, it's one of those moments in history. It really is, you know, it's going to be, you know, you guys have built a great, a great, you guys are building a great sculpture that will, you know, in time will, 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 will stand as this great, you know, tribute <laughs> to Bob. Yeah. Thank you. It's That's like the a idea. great, a giant wicker man of Bob that at the end of our lives will be burned alive <laughs> inside <laughs> it. Yes. 
And uh, probably it'll all be taken down because of copyright infringement someday. But uh, that's for the fine print readers to, um, you know, first of all, hear of us. Second of all, decide we need to be wiped <laughs> off the face of the earth. But today we, we're doing something tonight, actually. This is kind of Jokerman after hours, at least on the East Coast. Um, 10 o'clock. Past oh, wait, wait. Bedtime. Sorry to interrupt. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I'm so rude. But I just want to acknowledge, too, that we also grew up with Ian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's questionable. I came onto the scene a little late. I, I, was, uh, I, was, I was a little further, further down the 101 uh, towards Calabasas out of the, uh, out of the Agora Westlake crowd. So I had, to, I had to wait until high school until I I consider you part the of the scene, Evan. I just, that's, or, uh, Ian, no, that's no, all I wanted no. to say. Like, I just had to, had to take that one moment and acknowledge that. I'm so sorry to Evan to throw off your, your no, intro. No. This is so good. I'm, this so is a, I'm glad you did. This is I an appreciate important it, thing Sam. to acknowledge that, uh, yes, we are all one in Ian. I actually. didn't have as much experience in the uh, in the theater as you two did. Right, 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 right. No, you were just you were just busy when you were seven years old. You were just listening to Yola Tango. Uh, I was a little <laughs> old when I started, but uh, yeah, something like that. But today we're all listening to the same thing. And that's Yola Tango's ninth. No, just kidding. <laughs> We're never heard to... that band. Can I, I'm sorry, but just the fact that it was mentioned. Oh, Yola Tango? I, I just, has anybody yeah. ever heard that band? Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're actually a great band to just put on. I consider them very similar. Yola Tango and like uh, new pornographers. I think of them as this. I have never heard them, and I think of them as the same band. And I th- feel like they don't exist. But Ian likes them, so I got to check them they're, out. Now. They're, they're good, vibey. They're great. A great vibey band, and um, the singer sort of sounds like um, uh, one of the Johns from uh, They Might Be Giants, but like it's it's cooler. Cool, but you know, love both of those groups. Cool. Anyway, today we're talking about something else. We're talking about what is that? Do you hear that in the distance? train coming and this is bob dylan's album from 1979 this is bob dylan's first album with a new uh religion, religion? <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh the religion of christianity yeah the religion of being born again in christ and um it's a huge deal yeah. Oh God. Yeah. No question about it. Slow train coming. It's so good. I thought I was doing saved. I was fooling around with you a little bit, Evan. I was saying it was it was this album's no saved, which it's not. But it's so good. Well, would you believe that this record was actually considered way better than saved by most <laughs> people, most rock critics at the time? Um, we should just talk about uh, you know if if you're just joining us. The last thing we heard from Bob as a recording artist was um, Street Legal, a, a studio album. Mm-hmm. And then after that, or right before that, in that same period, 
was the 1978 tour uh, live record, which we just did two episodes on live at Budokan, Bob Dylan in Japan. And that whole era is like Bob pulling out all the stops and basically indulging in the most um, schmaltzy, ritzy, what what was dubbed the Vegas tour mm-hmm. you know, era. Oh, wow. um, post-divorce, like glad-handing, uh, he actually became a song and dance man for yeah. a second. In, he wanted in to a be, way. He, wanted, like, he quite literally wanted to be Elvis. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he was, exactly. And, and it was right after Elvis's death in 77, so, yeah, cl- pretty clearly inspired by, like, Bob uh, deciding to say, uh, okay, well, I can do that. <laughs> um, and to some extent, he really did. But uh, then something totally unexpected happened, which was Bob Dylan... Beca- became touched by the hand of the Lord God Christ. That is sure what happened. Interestingly, it it kind of uh, uh, built off of the the street legal tour that was memorialized so so fantastically on Budokan. Uh, he mentions uh, at, at one point in some quote somewhere he was he was live on stage you know towards the end of that tour towards the end of seventy eight and he was like. He was like dehydrated or having a panic attack or something, and he just looked like shit. And then someone in the crowd threw a silver cross onto the stage. He mm-hmm. picked it up, used it as some sort of totem that allowed him to engage with the Lord God Christ. And then he started wearing that. He started wearing it throughout the rest of the like the, the entire Christian period. There's tons of pictures of him wearing this silver cross that just appeared right. on the stage as if by magic or as if by, as if by, uh, divine uh, intervention, divine intervention. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's so crazy that sometimes the first step to becoming born again is being dehydrated. <laughs> Maybe subconsciously every time I forget to drink enough water, I'm, it's my soul actually sort of guiding me toward this point where one day I'll just, <laughs> I'll break down and, and I'll have to receive him into my heart. <laughs> I do love he he claims once again. There's a lot of claiming that Bob does on on uh, on his part during this period in time. Uh, who knows how true any of it is? But I believe he claims that he saw the Lord Jesus Christ appear to him in a in a vision in a hotel room in Tucson, Arizona, uh, which is not a uh, doesn't seem like a particularly kind of holy place. But I, I guess I haven't spent too much time in Tucson, so I can't say for sure. Well, it sounds like you haven't spent too much time in the presence of the Lord our God. I certainly haven't. <laughs> uh, I think that any born again worth their pillar of salt will tell you that that God is can be anywhere. You know, that, Jesus that's worth important. their pillar of salt. <laughs> you got the Trinity. The Holy Trinity <laughs> means. You know, Ian, Evan, Sam, Lou, Iggy, and Bowie. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Yeah, Iggy, Bowie, and Sam Franz. (laughs) And Sam, uh, I was wondering if you had any sort of insights about Christianity as like the fuel for rock music. I know that you did a a Christian album at one point, or an album meant to be a spiritual album in that in that direction in high school yeah i mean god is real is straight up like a christian album <laughs> yes uh, god is real 
Right. God is real. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I was just thinking about this. I mean, like, um, yeah, I I think, um, I don't know, you know, he was obviously going through a spiritual period in his life, but I was also thinking about it in context of the seventies, of course, and how all every, everybody was just had these heroin addictions and everybody was just strung out. And I think, you know, Mm -hmm. from a practical perspective, I think everybody was, you know, looking for something else. I mean, the one thing that makes me think that a little bit, I feel like, is that like when Foxtron was making the, our, the last Foxtron album, seeing other people, Jim Keltner drummed on that album. He was on not this record, but he was on Saved. Oh, was he? Oh, oh, Saved. Yeah, he's on Saved. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. was you know recorded within nine months of of oh, really? Slow Train coming, like really right. re- one after the other. But go on. Right, right, and he just. Anyways, my little tidbit is he like, you know, he he. Well, I have like two two Christian tid I have two Christian tidbits about Keltner, um, but one one I think is that you know well I'll just tell tell them both. The first one is like we were doing one song, uh, it's a song called "Flag at Half Mass," which was kind of like improvised, and like Keltner was kind of like we pl- did that one with Keltner, and I was improvising some lyrics, and there's one one part of the lyrics where I'm talking about Jesus. When we finished the take, and then we're bo- going back into the control room, and Keltner was like was like. Um, uh, great song. Uh, also, hey, like nothing, nothing wrong with uh, talking about the Lord Jesus too. You know, nothing wrong with that. You know, <laughs> and I was like, whoa, okay, heavy. You know, and I was like, and then I was talking to Rado about it, and Rado was like, yeah, dude, he was like, he was like with Dylan. You know, when Dylan was like on the, you know, like tour on the when Dylan got saved and everything. You know, like and shit like that. And 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 Keltner was always talking about how he was like smoking rocks back then. Who him or Bob? <laughs> Uh, well, he said that he, Keltner said that he, not Bob, I don't know about Bob. You okay. know. <laughs> I don't know if Kel, if Bob was a crack addict, although I don't, I wonder about Bob's drug use around that period. But. I feel like Bob's tried everything one time, yeah. at least. No question. Maybe got hung up on a couple things at a couple yeah. times, but yeah, yeah. I don't want to speculate too much. Right, right, right. But uh, go on. Uh, basically, I mean, that's it. Basically, you know, I just, I, I, you know, I know that he was, you know, Jim, Jim was pretty strung out at the time. And I think he also got saved around the same time. The seventies, I think are a time when a lot of people were out spiritually searching and there's much, much has been written, much ink has been spilled over the topic of people in the spiritual marketplace of the, of the 1970s, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, trying r- Reiki and trying, uh, hypnotherapy and, uh, sensory deprivation and crystals and all, anything <laughs> that you can think of was ba- like most of that shit was invented or became more widely popular in that span of time. And, um, I believe that this is talked a lot about in uh, the book uh, by, by Christopher Lash, the, the culture of narcissism, actually, <laughs> where uh, that this this era was like kind of typified by like people who survived the '60s, um, basically right. finding something else to latch onto at some point in the '70s that sort of floated them through totally. until they popped out of the other end as full full blown yuppies um right. and it, it like helped them forget any scrub or like reconfigure their ideals from that time and sort of like work as 
trauma processing for what was really dark span of of years from the late 60s to the mid to late 70s. And so we I think explored some of Bob's creative output from a time that is kind of a no man's land of that era with uh Street Legal and the Live at Budokan records. Um and here we are. Really this was a shockingly, you know, a creative triumph by by many people's accounts by the rolling stone review of this anyway is like <laughs> almost it's pretty absurd in in terms of how hyperbolically positive it it is they were very happy with it i feel like maybe that 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 thing of, of keltner being saved it's like so was that writer at rolling stone like everybody it was contagious <laughs> everyone Apparently. was feeling it they're all ready for like bob to spin them the gospel I guess so. Is there anyone uh, that, I was just thinking about this when you are talking about it, Evan, is there anyone who like kind of came up and established themselves in the mid to late 60s that was really kind of like like feeling themselves and vibing and firing on all cylinders around this time in the 70s? Because it seems like all the like touchstones that we look back on of like 1979, for instance, are all people who came up like the second wave, like after... Uh, after the 60s had concluded initially, but like Bob, any of the Beatles on their solo records, Lou, obviously, like we talked about with like Street Hassle and stuff, it seemed like they were all kind of going through this same similar sort of weird rough patch at, at this time. Well, at this time, Lou was doing the Bells, right? That was a 79 record, huh? Was it? Street Hassle, Bells. He was definitely reflecting on his whole career and being very self-referential. 79, As I just want to talk about it for a minute because... It's long, like, since I was in, like, 7th, 8th grade, I just discovered so much amazing music is from 1979. Like, it's a year that has stuck with me in a lot of ways. You have, like, Joy Division and, like, London Calling, the fir- the first Human League record. Like, there's so many, and they're, and Fear right. of Music. Like, there's, they all have oh, this cool. dark jagged fucked up energy oh right right it's very evan but look at the look at the bands that you all just mentioned there right those were all bands that came up in like 76 77 78 max like any any of the the old dudes the old dudes were like what the fuck are we gonna do rock and roll i don't even know what it is anymore you know basically most most of those bands too are, are comprised of create like the the front man is somebody who died not that long after <laughs> uh i mean well david byrne didn't die and neither did uh the guy the human league just became a, a straight up you know dance pop group but their first the human league first record from 79 is like so weird and it's one of my favorites it's so good i just have to i'm ashamed to say i haven't heard it but, it sounds amazing and then Pleasure Principle by Gary Newman. Right, yeah. like, but, I mean, London Calling is a big one for me from that year. Oh, yeah. Um, and, of course, Unknown Pleasures, uh, Joy Division. Um, yeah. Don't you forget know, about Tusk. Tusk. Of, how could I forget? <laughs> oh, shit. Well, that kind of defines... That that wraps it all up. Tusk is... I was just thinking about Tusk. I didn't realize that that was 79, but... Sure was. XTC's Drums and Wires came out that year. Like, so much essential... Uh, like it's the height of new wave being like really a, a, an artistic like bulldozer in terms of what's going on. Um, 
Right. With with it, it be I feel like every you know dozen like a dozen or two new wave adjacent or post punk masterpieces that year. But anyway, Bob is in a way ahead of the game by doing this uh, as usual. <laughs> I don't know if it's as usual. He's he's doing something different. He's going electric in his own way all the time, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe if Bob, you know, it didn't get saved at this time, he would have uh, died. Who knows? Was he just doing heroin? I mean, I, I was reading the Wikipedia, and it's like, you know, he was sick. You know, he, he was so sick on that tour, couldn't stop getting sick. And all of a sudden, the Jesus saved him. I mean, I don't know. That's a conspiracy theory on my part that literally should be given no credence to at all. But I just thought I'd say <laughs> We'll never know. We'll never know. Podcast, we don't. Uh, we we accept that we don't know. But we'll. Um, you know, his only admitted use of heroin was like in the late six during you know late sixties or mid sixties or something. He was like, yeah, I was addicted to heroin back then. But that was like some beat poet shit or something. You know, that was like early. shit. Yeah, but I was just trying to dig the the bop. Oh yeah, it was point. just like on a jazz <laughs> trip. You know, all the jazz guys. You know. Oh, you know, we all did horse. <laughs> yeah, kicking that addiction, man. Oh. Anyways, please continue with relevant uh, true facts. Well, whether he was physically, uh, you know, physically impaired, physically sick from any existent or non-existent heroin addiction, I think it's clear that he was uh, spiritually sick, For spiritually sure. street unwell. legal. You know, you know, just defines all that. And you guys did such a good job with that. I don't need. I don't need to add to that. Continue. No, no, please. I, I no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, it's just you know. Street legal was a turn in, you know, uh, in both the sound of Bob, you know, and also like, you know, him trying to figure something out in the new 80, you know, the late seventies, whatever, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a, I think the main thing we stressed on that episode is that street legal is kind of like an in between, like a sort of no man's land of, of Bob creatively. Like when the last thing he did was desire, and then you've got street legal. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> what happened, Jan? Uh, but I, I go back to what Ian you just said. Spiritual, you know. That now there's spiritual warfare, flesh and blood breaking down. That's one of the lyrics from this record. Sure and, is. And uh, uh, I think we should. I, I guess should I say anything about the creation of this record before we jump in? Uh, he got the guys from a few guys from Dire Straits to do it. They went to Muscle Shoals. They got um, Wexler to produce it. Um, and yeah, and that's. I all. think we can. I think we can dive into some of that as we tackle the songs and kind of weave it in there because I think the sound of the record is is just as interesting as the topic matter. At least you know at, at certain points for me. I agree. Well, then, with without further ado, um, let's let's us Jokerman three. Um, cock our ear to the wind and listen to that slow train come. So the first song on Slow Train Coming is a song featured on The Sopranos. It is featured on The Sopranos. Yeah. (laughs) Gotta serve somebody. That's like season, it's like a season four or five episode, I think, right? I couldn't tell you. 
I just know it's one of the more memorable uh, music cues in in The Sopranos. Um, Diegetic diegetic sound in the film, in the, in the film, in the movie, in the film, (laughs) the Sopranos. Um, but, uh, what do you guys think of this song, this opener? Amazing. I agree. I agree. Classic, classic. (laughs) It won a Grammy for Christ's sake, right? Did it? I think it did. I think it literally won Best Male Vocal Performance at the Grammys the same year that he performed that incredible performance of it. I could be wrong. I was just skimming things before, do my homework before we did this. Something like that, maybe. That that sounds right. I know the performance you're talking about. It's so funny to see him like walk out there with the full band and like all these Hollywood sickos are out there in their tuxedos and their ball gowns, and then he just starts playing this Christian song to all of them. <laughs> but but this is not your typical Christian song either. It is. I think no. this is a, right where we should. Uh, this is where we should discuss what makes this. You know what what is Dylan's Christianity like? What's his Christian angle like as a songwriter? And uh, I got to tell you, I think it's a lot bleaker and more intense than than really what any other Christian rock it, it tends to be. Very much so. Yeah, there's a there's a sort of like a at certain points throughout this record, it's not on every song, but it's on a lot of them. There's this very like vindictive holier than thou yes. spirit that Bob adopts where he's not so interested in like, you know, spreading the gospel of the good Lord Christ and like converting people necessarily. Uh, he's, he's more interested in like, you know, uh, fire and brimstone uh, and, and casting stones at sinners and stuff like that. And I think that, that starts <laughs> off here on this verse. So song. true. It's very interesting. Well, I, I question the impulse to refer to it as holier than thou only because... <laughs> I get this weird feeling that Bob is kind of uh, self-flagellating in a way, like he's including himself in this. Mm. And I at at certain points, I feel like his lyrics are kind of like a way to uh, violently cleanse himself of of his wrongdoing or his perceived failings. Like he's just comfortable talking about. Um, how we are all, uh, you know, j- weighed in the balance and found wanting or, or whatever. And uh, You Gotta Serve Somebody is a song about how you could be anybody in the world. You could, it doesn't, ma- it doesn't, it literally does not matter who you are, what you like to do. It's about uh, saying from the very start of this record, you have, you are subordinate. To something bigger than your than what you think. That's true. Yeah, I think uh, I think that um, this song and we get this on a couple other songs. Like, it doesn't even seem, at least compared to something like Save, for instance, it doesn't even seem like a particularly Christian kind of record. You know, like obviously some of these songs are about Jesus and and uh, evangelicism and you know being converted and stuff. But like a lot of these songs are not very uh, explicit about. Christ and God. Well, I I think that the whole record overall is um, pretty, you know, when taken as a whole piece is like pretty uh, objectively a a Christian or a religious record. But I I see your point. I think that this record is 
it's left a little bit up in the air whether or not Bob Dylan, the person, is like fully meaning what he's saying here or if he is using this really um, committedly as a device for for themes that he's always been interested in. Right. Um, the True. the Rolling Stone review is really funny. I I feel like we should we should check it out. Um, who is it by? I sent it to you earlier, Sam. Yeah, it's hilarious. Jan Winner. Jan Winner. So funny. This review, like, kind of doesn't owe shucks about Bob's religiosity on it and really just focuses on how it feels like a creative revitalization and just uh, is happy with that. And I think that's how, that's how I feel about this first, first track anyway. That's a good angle to come from, you know, it, uh, the, the, one of the other things uh, that's most immediate right off the bat, I think, with this song, uh, and I guess you know, goes through the rest of the record, is, is the way that it sounds. Like, especially coming mm-hmm. off of Street Legal, which was such a kind of slapdash and fucked up sounding production with these weird mixes and like going in and out of this blown out <laughs> band sound, and then like weird songs like New Pony, for instance. Like this, <laughs> this sounds like a slick, oh yeah, professional like put together like these guys in the studio knew what they were doing kind of record. Uh, and that's where I think that's where the production like comes into it, like you were talking about a minute ago, Evan. Well, it's, it also I feel like it sounds self consciously very tight. Yes, and I exactly. think that you know that comes from having the guys from Dire Straits, Mark Knopfler, and um, uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, I think I think he has another brother in Dire Straits, but I think only Mark was the one. That the was drummer, though. Oh, was the, the drummer. drummer from Dire Straits on the record too? I believe he was. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of research you get with Jokerman. He he has a a name sort of like uh, Wit Stillman. <laughs> That's basically uh, what he's got. Are you thinking Pick Withers, Evan? It's Pick Withers, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wit Stillman on the drums, the great Pick um, Withers. And uh, yeah, I mean the most new new wave that Bob ever got in a way is kind of like the production on this, or like you listen to Tusk and then you listen to this and you just have to wonder like uh, what true. the fuck was going on during this year where everyone was just like no no no. I just want everything to sound like it's being deadened. I just want everything to sound like it's tight and fucking closed off. Like totally, people are uh, really into this. Like terse. Was this just cocaine? Is that why? Cocaine, digital sound, digital, digital. Uh, I was just reading the Tusk book, which is fucking incredible. Everyone should get it by Ken Calais. Westlake Village native, uh, Thousand Oaks oh boy. area native, Ken Calais, the the engineer on on Rumors and Tusk. He wrote it. Finally, wrote a book on Tusk. He wrote a great Rumors book, but then I've, I've been reading the Tusk one. And he, wow, that sounds amazing. And uh, yeah, they were just like obsessed with the cleanest fucking sounds, you know. I mean, and and they started doing the digital tape that year, you know, whatever it was. That I don't even know what it's called, but it was some sort of digital. They were still recording on tape, but it was like a digital, you know, replication system that was going Mm. at the same time or whatever. Like how we're recording this podcast. Digital. Like you said, like you said, those 79, uh, 79, you said Unknown Pleasures and Martin Hannett. Right, right. Martin Hannett was also starting to. And what, what, did The Idiot come out in 79 too? 
think no, the Iggy was early. 77, I think. But okay. there was some other Iggy Pop. Well, yeah, yeah. Then. Well, there, there you go. Like Iggy Pop ahead of the curve. But like, yeah, you know, gated drum and, and low, you know, and, yeah. and like the whole Berlin trilogy. Lodger came out in 79. But right. yeah, there's this is a big time for like that really intense, tight, like arched back Halloween cat vibe. <laughs> Yeah, I think they all got the ability to like make everything sound like perfect, basically, right? Like technically <laughs> right, right. perfect, uh, right? And so they all got really psyched on that because, like, finally we can get rid of the, hu- the 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 fuzz and the hiss and the snaps and the crackles and shit, and like it just sounds it sounds like pure music and nothing else. And Jerry and so Wexler, everyone, you know, yeah, everyone got just like a little a little too excited about it. Uh, certainly, you know, once you get into the 80s, but this is kind of the start of that wave, and then obviously it, it peters out by the end of the 80s. Um, but uh, this is, you know, this is this is kind of where you where you start to see it. Every, everything sounds like a Steely Dan record for a couple of years. Well, well, by the end of the 80s, it just gets blown out into, like, outright maximalism. But right. let's move on from the first track, which, you know, tells you that you are nothing. And <laughs> you... Fuck you for not believing in Jesus, I think I wrote on my notes here. <laughs> Fuck you if you don't believe in Jesus, you idiot, is what I have written here i feel like that's a really good way to to summarize the the feeling that you get from this song one one last line before we move on uh you you may call me zimmy what the fuck i yes yeah i hear that one uh robert zimmerman oh shit that's real name yeah has anyone ever called him zimmy um, you know, no. I feel like that was something that he maybe lived to regret because I feel that some psycho Bob Dylan fans have probably called him Zimmy. Oh, or, God. You could only uh, imagine the horrors. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know how that is. Um, you, he, he should probably make a statement. Please do not call me Zimmy. <laughs> Um, on the, on the second song though, song two, we are greeted with a beautiful song, <laughs> a great song. Yeah, great song, precious, precious angel. angel. Um, I think this is many people's favorite on this record, cool. and for good cool. reason. It's yeah. like good taste. such a beautiful song, so um, effortlessly like. It floats away. It feels yeah. uh, effort. Effortless is uh, is the name. This was definitely my favorite song on the record. Like when I first became familiar with it, because it's the like catchiest kind of most earwormy song. Um, yeah, it just sounds kind of like a perfect little um, pop song um, musically, at least. The lyrics again, we get I think into some darker, heavier stuff. Um, but, exactly. Um, yeah, you've got uh, you've got the acoustic guitar, you've got the piano, you've got the Knopfler electric uh you know kind of wobbly guitar it's it's just like a perfect little concoction of sounds um and uh yeah i don't know i mean it, it's uh, it seems it seems like a song that's consciously designed as a single although i don't think it necessarily was an actual single or at least the first one but yeah it's it's great got that fleetwood mac flavor a little bit but with like you said ian it's got those like um those punk rock christian vo- <laughs> lyrics <laughs> Of like this has one of the most intense vocals of the whole record with yep, which is uh, I you you know the one I'm talking about. Can they imagine the darkness that will fall from on high when men will beg God to kill them and they won't be able to die? That's right. Whoa, <laughs> I don't remember that lyric. That's metal. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that that just ends up in this song, which starts sounding like it's Judgment it could, Day music. It could be about, um, you know, this this sounds kind of like a Nashville skyline type yeah. of song. Meets like a Christine McVeigh song, you know, yeah. like. Mm-hmm. The instrumentation is as good as anything on Tusk, you know, on yeah, this one. Yeah, I it's totally see that. amazing, you know, it's I so good. I feel like good. there's such a beautiful, sweet spot, like, in, within the paradigm that we just kind of discussed about, like, the 1979, like, zeitgeist right, where, right. in recording, where everything is, like, so black and white, or, like, gray and beige and um, so beige the album cover again is beige yeah Yeah, well the album cover uh, i'll get to that in a second but um you know within that like extremely um pared down like coked up but still creatively really sharp period um of like stylistically when an artist is fully in that mode tries to do something like beautiful <laughs> or like or kind of chill yeah it it creates these beautiful only works out <laughs> it creates these crazy moments where like yeah this song is like really um effervescent and shines really bright uh, no pun intended but it also has this co- absolute pitch black darkness mm-hmm. uh, contained within it it's got like the highest most uh, floaty cloud like guitar melody, and then just oh, yeah. lyrics that are about literal doom. <laughs> um, but the the album cover is something I also want to touch on, which is um, something it doesn't. Uh, something I notice is that it it feels like the closest we've come to circling back to John Wesley Harding in a way where we have an album cover that's like beige. (laughs) It's the same colors, the same exact color as John Wesley Harding. Basically it's a little lighter. Maybe it's, it's like very (laughs) pared down in beige and, and yet, and the record also is, you know, the instrumentation is also very tight uh, and and sort of modest sounding. Yeah, totally stark. I would call it stark. Yeah. Do, do you, feel like this is do you do you get that too that like this is kind of like a john wesley harding energy i see totally yeah i see, I see what you mean i think it's interesting though like this is the first this is the first one since planet waves i guess that doesn't have a picture of bob on it and the drawing i don't think was actually even done by bob like i, no, I think he had not this was, by bob yeah um, oh wow! Right, right, right. It, uh, which I guess I don't know what that means necessarily. <laughs> I didn't realize Planet Waves was by Bob really until I listened to the episode the other night. <laughs> it sure is Moon Glow, classic. Moon so Glow, good. Torch, really great. Uh, One of his better pieces. Torch, 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 torch songs, and, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So so cool. Anyways, it's a great album cover. Um, that uh, Planet Waves, but also I really like the album cover for uh, Slow Train. I agree. I, think it's a- I thought this album, let me just say, I thought this whole album was a soundtrack. When you asked me to do this, oh, wow. I was like, what's Slow Trank? What's that again? And you're like, dude, it's a fucking Christian album. Like, you should know this shit. You didn't say that, but I was like, <laughs> fuck. Like, uh, I was like, shit. Like, damn, I got to listen to this. Like, I thought it was like 
like Billy the Kid or something. I don't even, which another album I haven't heard, which I'm sure is amazing, but um, I, I was just like, what is that slip train coming? I never heard it. I, I was like the album, but I was a cover, but I was like, I I don't know what, is that a soundtrack? I don't did did you notice that the the pickaxe on the you know the the cover is a man a couple men building a railroad as the train is literally approaching which is a beautiful visual joke because that train must be very slow <laughs> That's amazing and I did not realize but, that But but the it's thing that I was cool. going to point out was that uh, if you take a look at the pickaxe that the man is holding it it looks very much like a cross, a crucifix. You know, I never, oh, cool. I never noticed that. Somehow, that is really that slipped. No, <laughs> come on, <laughs> it's it's not particularly subtle, Bob. Well, I'm just pointing out. <laughs> it is uh, epic. It so is when once you look at it. Yeah, absolutely. it is a really great album cover. I really want to own this on vinyl, just because I want to like too, no. look at this record sleeve. My- it's an essential now. I need to. I need. It, I mean, it's so it's so near and dear to me because of this wonderful podcast. Well, at this we're point. only two songs in, so you know, hold your horses. We- yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to get into. Um, anything else you want to say about Precious Angel other than it's a great song? Oh, you so good. The last- so good. Seventy nine. You know, we 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 killed it. The last thing I would say is I think I think we get a little bit more of that holier than thou, Bob. Here, uh, the, that line about. Um, uh, you were telling him about Buddha. You were telling him about Muhammad right. in the same breath. You never mentioned one time the man, the man who died and who came, came and died, and a died criminal's a death, criminal's death, criminal's death. Yeah, I lo- uh, and I, I will also say that while you do have that, uh, that is absolutely like <laughs> sort of a condescending attitude uh, <laughs> on here. You also have um, he's absolutely laying himself bare on the chorus, which goes back to my point about him kind of seeking out a way to cleanse his sins through this music where he's saying, right. uh, I just couldn't make it on my, by myself. I'm a little too blind to see. And I think we can't overstate how crazy it is that the man who wrote Like a Rolling Stone <laughs> and Positively 4th Street is putting out a song here where he says, I couldn't make it by myself. I'm a little too blind to see. Like, absolutely (laughs) just saying, like, actually, I've been, like, beaten down, and I have to admit that, like, I'm not the shit. He really has had a uh, change of heart. The hipster philosopher, Beatnik, is, is, is truly dead at this point. Bob's happy to kill him like deliver the coup de gras right, he's like fuck it totally totally that's not nothing truth truth man good point man i never thought about that then the next song is uh i believe believe in you i believe in you it is i believe in you and i just watched the snl performance i only was able to see one song online of it but um i really liked the performance on snl of I believe in you. Uh, from 1979, the only time Bob's <laughs> ever been on Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah, I'm very glad that the only appearance he has ever made on that cursed institution uh, <laughs> has has been to play Christian songs. Um, that uh, that's Fuck appropriate yeah, and that's as it should be. And I'm glad that he got to bring <laughs> the word of the yeah. Lord Jesus Christ to all the sinners of New York City. 
It's a really touching yeah. performance, I I thought. Yeah. I have not seen that. I got to watch that. It sounds amazing. Um, anyways, I believe in you. I believe in you. Not the Neil Young and song. And not the song from uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, the musical. Were you in that? At, <laughs> uh, no, uh, I wasn't. <laughs> what do I have here? Uh, snarly, unhinged vocals, for sure. His vocal performance, I think, on this is really fucked. And he was, I think you he mean was when just he like goes, one of those. Oh, when the sky keeps <laughs> Yeah, there's a few oh. of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was one of those those times when he was just like, did it, first take, and they were like, that was fucked up, Bob. He was like, yeah, great. <laughs> Loved it, you know. Cut it, you know. Well, in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, man. Yes, it's that. Yes. It's pretty great. Uh, do you know... Uh, Ian, who else was on SNL that night, or like what what the SNL no. cast was? I'm just curious. No, it was '79, so that would have been like I guess there still would have been some of the original people there, right? Like uh, Belushi and Chevy Chase and stuff. I <laughs> I honestly don't I don't know my SNL very much. Yeah, me neither. I think that was actually kind of a dark period. I think that was after like the original people left, but it was before like Eddie Murphy. Um, uh, showed up in in the um, in the eighties. Um, yeah, I I can't say I know for sure. It's just crazy that that was like when he went on that show because <laughs> I I'm going to assume he was not on a single skit. It wasn't like today where like <laughs> God, I never thought about that. <laughs> it was like Lindsay Lohan or right. or, or something out there. Or, or, have him dressed up like Donald Trump, yeah, pooping in his uh, pants. He would have been great. I mean, I of course Bob was like, "No, I'm not doing any of the skits." But I mean, it would have been I good. I think he would have been, in, you know, great on purpose at this point. <laughs> I feel like it, I mean, he he didn't smile. I don't think he maybe he smiled one single time during this appearance. Not a big smiler. So it's just like the last place he should have been performing these songs, or maybe you know, in the eyes of God, this is the first place. He's right in the middle of. Sodom and Gomorrah. Literally, exactly. <laughs> yeah, New York right. in 19, Manhattan in 1979, late at night on a Saturday. What, what better place to uh, spread the Lord, uh, spread the Lord's word? And this song is sort of uh, about somebody who says, I don't care that you think that I'm uh, bad for loving Christ. He's saying, mm. I don't care. And I believe in you right. anyway. He's talking directly to Jesus, it seems. Um, it oh, seems, right. Right, right, although right. it is worth noting that he doesn't actually mention Jesus's name whatsoever. This, it, like, it, the the song like sounds and has a lyric that's almost kind of like if, if this song was on Planet Waves or something, it, it could easily pass for a song about Sarah. Um, and I think that's why right, why it right. works uh, and why it's why it's a pretty. Strong it's got one. that darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's got that that Dylan dark that 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 darkness that's on this record. Like we keep talking about that. That negative Christianity yeah. Yeah. that he keeps going for on this on this record for some reason uh, he's bitter. It's almost as if, like you said, Evan, so er, both of you so beautifully early on. Or on. I mean, it, you know, uh, I don't mean to belittle somebody's religious experience, but you know, we're seeing somebody deal with their personal issues through and 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 and, and through through religion. And and I mean, I, he he would probably admit that too. And 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 we're seeing a lot of that at this point. You know. 
on this record defines it. Yeah, you know? but I, it's it's interesting to consider how positively this was received. I know it's so weird. <laughs> Commercially and critically, this record wasn't like something that people were up in arms against, and you know something we'll get into probably more next episode is like there's a vast gulf between how this was received and then the next record. Mm. It's like, it's crazy because we're still in the seventies, you know, here and people seem to be like willing to be receptive to this Christian, uh, affect or Christian message really. But as soon as you hit 1980, it's like, and it just stops and people go, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck this. (laughs) Just like this. Shut the fuck up. And like Bob Dylan never recovered from that blow to his commercial. He like after saved, he never was on the top 10 ever again until this year. It's a shame. It's a shame. It's a shame because saved is so joyous and saved is such a all time hit classic, just full on, you know, so it's a shame that he was dealing with that backlash. It makes, it makes it ironic and classic in a Dylan and way. Of course. Yeah. I, 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 I would imagine that a lot of that is due to the people like by 79, you're used to Bob reinventing himself and coming up with a new persona every year, every two years or something. And so like, Oh, here's the, here's the weird wacky nine months where he's Christian. Uh, but then saved comes out. <laughs> All right. We're cool Sa- with that. Yeah. You know, that's saved fine. Comes All out right. The next yeah, year yeah. And, and everyone's like, Oh wait, this isn't, this isn't just a one record thing. And, <laughs> no, and not only that, but it coincides with a new entire decade where people are willing, are, are so ready to shed all of the baggage of the seventies and he's right. still doing the same thing and not only doing the same thing, but reminding them that like, you're still going to hell. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. People, people are just probably like, Oh, shut the fuck up. Just like, like Philip Seymour Hoffman style. Punch drunk love. Yeah. Uh, the, the next song uh, is a slow train. The title track sure is. Always love, uh, always love a song about a train. Yes, <laughs> yes. Blues chugger, first of the blues chuggers, is I, what I have. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, one of the better ones, but mm-hmm. it's what I have on my notes here. There's a, a blues chugger suite here. I noticed that starts around this point. Wow! Yeah, you're so right, Sam. <laughs> Which is like, you know, the point in the record where I'm kind of like, okay, okay, you know, I mean, I'll, it's awesome, but, you know, it's not my favorite part. <laughs> in the Rolling Stone review, uh, Jan Wenner basically, like, goes out of his way to say that this is, like, one of the finest, if not the finest, Dylan record ever put out. And he says, like, it, it's probably his best album musically. <laughs> he does say that, right? Which, I mean, like, yes, it's good. I mean, just, woo! What a spicy meatball that is. This is just what everyone was looking for in 79. They, they wanted every album to sound like Gaucho. What, what, what does it say about um, this song in particular, Ian? It says, Slow Train, the song, is unequivocally in the tradition of the, quote, State of the Union songs that Bob Dylan has put on every record he's ever done before. But for the first time since Highway 61 revisited, the song that is his boldest statement on the American condition is the title tune. 
which signals the theme of the album. The title track is nothing less than Dylan's most mature and profound song about America. His patriotism is absolutely clear. It is a statement filled with his belief in the American dream as well as being infused with outrage and with anger. I think it's his best State of the Union song ever because it's tempered and deepened by a wiser understanding, which is where religion really does fit into this album. I find it devastating. <laughs> what is going on? Who is this guy, man? Literally, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> he was high off his ass. Rolling Stone around this time was a was a was a far was a right wing Christian uh, 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 publication, apparently. <laughs> Straight no, up, I, I I found myself while reading. I read the entire review, and at points, I was just like, "Wow!" Like, what did you have to do to write for Rolling Stone in 1979? Slow. In essence, Slow Train is a new kind of blown in the wind right. or Desolation Row. But the times are now more complicated and not as easily open Pump to broad the strokes Pump and the simplistic. Brakes. Yeah, like, just even saying, oh, it's a new type of Blown in the Wind or Desolation Row, as if both those songs are about civil rights or the American experiment. Like, Desolation Row is fucking not about anything. That, yeah. <laughs> I think Desolation Row, whether or not it is about anything, it certainly isn't about the same thing that Blown in the Wind is. It's about things. It's about many things. Desolation Row is, you know, a, a perfect song. True, true. It's incredible. But it is not Blown in the Wind. You, like, you heard it from the joke the same first. Breath. Shut the fuck up about Desolation Row <laughs> as a political song. It's one of his stoner ballads, okay? But it's not a yeah, political exactly. song, okay? <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Sam, for for translating to the to the layman. Yeah, I know. I'm here. I'm I'm trying. I'm doing my best. That just made me like do a physical like a double take. Like when I read it, I was just like, why? What are you talking? You've immediately like made me just question everything you've written in like the really like five paragraph. It's a great so review. I mean, it's really good, and I'm I'm glad you long ass review. It's so good, and I'm glad you you sent it to me before we did the the podcast because it's so good. It's worth a read. It's a fun read, but and the the funniest thing about the review is the way that it ends. It, it ends in a way that feels like I don't know if this was like was happening, you know, before this point, but like. This is the, one of the most notable examples I've seen of like a, a pitchfork style, like poignant ass ending to a <laughs> it's review. So good. Like trying to be poignant ending, where it's like, so when I listen to when he returns, the words finally don't matter at all. They're as good as they ever were, maybe even better. I am hearing a voice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's the it's the music review as like personal essay kind of thing where the the focus is taken off of the music itself and redirected to the actual reviewer as if they are the most interesting object here. Well, right, but- and critically they fail to understand the first thing about the artist. Right. <laughs> and just like assume that they like well, I'm getting paid to write this, so that means that I know what to say. And that means I can say that this that slow train coming, the title track uh, from the album is basically <laughs> the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, quite a re- quite a review. Sam, 
Uh, I know you've had uh, you've had your fair share of uh, thoughts about uh, music criticism and stuff. If you, if you have anything to share now, oh, I mean, I mean, you guys don't, put don't it well. Like um, it's 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 such a good point uh, you guys just made. Um, it's a little bit cooler to uh, to to imagine uh, this happening with Dylan's Christian album, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> as opposed to um, you know. Somebody talking about why TikTok is the new revol- new revolution or something, but um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like listening to TikTok and being like, I'm, it's no longer just about a twenty five second video. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's no longer about watching bouncing titties on my iPhone. One one thing I do find uh, notable or, or very fascinating from the lyric on this song is, is the line about oil this and sheets. Uh, stop in my tracks. (laughs) All that foreign oil controlling American soil. Look around (laughs) you, it's just bound to make you embarrassed. (laughs) Embarrassed! Right, 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 right. There's something, like, super Freudian going on here with Bob Dylan and, like, talking about, like, all these foreign interests messing with our oil. It's embarrassing. It's like, you are not talking about oil. <laughs> well, I think I think this is fascinating, right? Because like, I, I do see like an element of what they were talking about, the Rolling Stone review, where like maybe this is sort of like a patriotic, like American rah-rah uh, lyric of his, but that seems very unlikely to me. At, at the same time, it seems more focused on like, you know, a, a pretty accurate diagnosis of like True. globalization and like, uh, you know, neoliberal economics and stuff in the way that oil interests can control and corrupt, uh, you know, the spirit I, of I mean, this he, country. He's not wrong, but I do think that maybe there's something else more personal that's like making Bob feel the need to throw that into this song. That's also possible. Like, yeah, I, I don't know that he even knew what he was doing with that. Lyric. Maybe not personal as much as like uh, subconscious. It's so <laughs> like, interesting. I don't to even analyze... know what. Sorry, go ahead. And the, Sorry. Well, there's the other line that's like a part of this, which which feels like especially kind of like when he says walking around in with nose rings. Yeah, that's the that's the next line about the sheiks. Yeah, sheiks walking around like kings wearing fancy jewels and, and nose, nose rings. rings. It's just like really like broad like savages are taking over our nation like our our nation's interests like he won't go into politics in right. the same like bizarre way until infidels i think which first of all the title infidels oh, shit. <laughs> like, can't wait for that episode all, yeah yeah right you know songs on that record i think are are similar to this moment where like you know, he has that song Union Sundown on Infidels, um, mm. which is literally just about, uh, in, a, in a sense, the same phenomenon of of America basically selling itself out from under to uh, foreign, you know, outsourcing our, our uh, labor and our manufacturing capabilities to shadowy forces of somewhere else on, on the globe. Um, but why he feels the need to throw that into this song about ostensibly about Jesus returning at some point. I mean, there, there is sort of an undercurrent of, I don't know what you want to call it here. Like, like not leftism. Cause he like starts shit talking Karl Marx in, in a song that's coming up, but like some sort of populism or yeah, something. Who knows what Dylan, what Bob's politics are. You can only guess. 
It's a hodgepodge. <laughs> Bob Dylan says, uh, vote for uh, Joe Biden in the 2020 election. Did he really? No. <laughs> he says, buy my whiskey. <laughs> vote, b- vote Democrat. <laughs> that, that, that's it for side A. Epic. Such a good side. Perfect. I would say in a weird way, perfect side compared to the second side. Not to diss it, but just what a, what a, great, what I a agree. great side. What a great record. Yeah, it's a it's a really good side. Yeah, side A. Uh this has been Joker Men. Um sorry about that change in audio fidelity that you just experienced. Um sometimes you actually have to um serve somebody. <laughs> serve somebody. Yeah. Um that was me having to serve the ghost of Steve Jobs because his fucking computer fucked me. <laughs> Fuck it. Fuck it. Thank you, Sam. Please join us next time for side B to, uh, you know, continue watching that slow train approach. See it come around the bend. Or if you're one of the unfortunate workers at the front, uh, building it as the train comes, uh, good luck. You're actually one of the fortunate workers. You can take your time. You can take your time with your Christian uh, pickaxe because it's all good. Well, no, it's not. You're not Christian, you're a dumbass. We're not at saved yet. <laughs> Fuck you, you idiot. <laughs> you're fucking up. <laughs>